Be seated. Thank you, worship team, and thanks to Jason Patchett for stepping in to lead worship today. Appreciate it so much. And uh, good to be with you, good to worship with you, and thankful that uh, this music has brought us to the point where we get to study God's Word together. And just before we do that, though, I want to make an announcement. On the screen, you'll see a time change in our worship times, and that's going to affect you, because in a couple weeks, if you show up at 8.15, you will be very early, because we're shifting it to 9 o'clock. 10.15 and 11.30. And the reason is because our our middle service is becoming very, very full. And we need a place for those people to go to. And so hopefully 9 o'clock will be attractive to them. Hopefully that won't hurt you. And hopefully uh, that'll uh, be, um, uh, it'll help families of young kids to be able to get to our kids service, our kids celebration, Chapel Kids Ministry at 9 o'clock. So that's in two weeks. And uh, just put that on your schedule. Pass the word around. And uh, thank you for it. We're just trying to adjust to, to this whole time of COVID. Eventually, times will go back to what we think is normal. All right? Great. And so, it's been a while since I've um, stood on this platform in front of you, and a number of things have happened in all of our lives, but I'll tell you about one in our lives. On September 22, our oldest son, Daniel, and his wife, Nicole, made my wife and me grandparents for the very first time, so I thought I'd show you a picture. That's Blakelyn James. And uh, so for the next 20 minutes, I, I'd like to just show you some more pictures, if you don't mind. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, she, she's two and a half weeks old. She's walking and talking already. It's really, a, it's amazing, the brilliance in this child. Can I tell you some more stories? That would be great. All right, enough of that. On to our series called Undaunted a couple weeks ago. I love this phrase, by the way, undaunted, the term undaunted. It means courageous, brave, gritty. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the character of Zacchaeus, who bravely pursued Jesus in the hope of a start of a new life. And then last week, the character of Dorcas, who uh, bravely, uh, undauntedly pursued Jesus in the way of serving other people. Today, what we're looking at this weekend is the adventure of leadership. Now, when we hear the term leadership, some of us might check out because we think, oh, that's the person at the top and the lead at the front. But really, a more accurate understanding of leadership, a more inclusive understanding would be this, that leadership equals influence, and that is all of us. Where you work and live and play, no matter who you are, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, on your team, in your school, you have an element of influence. So we're going to be getting some principles later on today as we study the life of someone in the Bible. And we're in luck because the Bible is filled with stories of great leadership, principles that we can learn from. Uh, but today, the person we're going to learn from is the character Deborah. Whoops, I went one too far. There we go, Deborah. And her story is found in Judges chapter 4 and 5. We'll be there in a few minutes. But before we get to her story and then, and then unpack some principles from her life, I want to give you a little bit of background. And so Judges is the seventh book in the Bible, starting with Genesis and then eventually Judges. It comes right after Joshua. Joshua was the one who led the Israelites into the promised land where they settled much of the promised land, still some enemies existing. We'll get to them in a little while. But then Joshua died and he left a void of leadership. And in this void of leadership, the Israelites decided to put God on the shelf, to stiff-arm God. We really don't need you. 
Some years ago, I heard this great little phrase that when you order God out of your life, you invite disorder into your life. That was true then, and it's true today. That happened to the Israelites as a nation. They ordered God out of their life. And then they experienced the consequences of that. There's always consequences when you kick God out of your life. And the consequences for them was uh, various enemies, nations, surrounding nations, oppressed them. This is the way the book of Judges works. It works in cycles. Um, They would remove God from their life. They would experience the consequences in the way of oppression. And then they would cry out to God, and then God would deliver them in in, in, in in the way of a person or a ruler or a judge. And this happens a number of times. It cycles like this. And one of the judges to come along was Deborah. She was the fourth of 12 judges. And she was someone who served with an undaunted spirit. Now, there is no one story in the Bible that will give us all of the the principles we need for leadership and influencing others, but this is one story that has a lot of really good principles. And we'll get to those in just a moment. But first, we need to read her story, which is found in both Judges 4 and 5. Chapter 4 is the historic account, and then chapter 5 tells the same story, but with a song, a poetic account of what happened in chapter 4. We're going to look primarily at chapter 4, and this is the way it starts. After Ehud's death, now how about that for a name, Ehud? Has anybody named their kid Ehud? We're going to read some names that are really strange and really hard to pronounce. We'll see how I do. But Ehud was a preceding judge, the left-handed judge, if you want some trivia. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, an evil guy, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who we're going to hear a lot more about who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. How'd I do? Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So there's King Jabin over the Canaanites. The Canaanites are this oppressing enemy who are oppressing the Israelites. They have a huge army, and they have 900 iron chariots. Um, an iron chariot in those days is like the equivalent of a modern-day tank today. And they would have a, they had razor-shaped rods coming out of their axle, each chariot, that could mow down many, many foot soldiers. Scary, scary thing. So, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, and there's a name you might want to consider naming your kid someday, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. Jeborah was the judge. People would bring disputes to her for her to make decisions. She was was incredibly wise. And uh, so now she is about to call to herself a military leader to deal with the Canaanite army oppression problem. And his name is Barak. We're going to hear more about him as well. This is what the, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. This is Deborah speaking to Barak. Call 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Naphtali and Zebulun are both two tribes of Israel at Mount Tabor. 
And I will call out Sisera. Remember him? Sisera is the, is the general, the military leader for King Jabin, the evil Canaanite army. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. And there I will give you victory over him. Let me go back. Okay, let me stop there for a moment. And so, uh, here's Barak getting this news from Deborah that he is to take 10,000 foot soldiers against the entire Canaanite army plus their 900 foot soldiers. And he must have been thinking, are you kidding me? But okay. However, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. And at this point, I don't think Barak is being chicken, although some people think he is. I think he's just being smart because he understands the wisdom of Deborah and how important she is to the Israelite nation. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, at the hands of a woman. The victory won't be Barak's. The victory won't be Deborah's. The victory is going to be at the hands of a woman. Who's that? We're going to find out in a few moments. But now, the author introduces a verse that's hard to understand at this point in the story. It seems random. Like, why would we need to know this information? Now, Heber the Kenite, maybe you have a neighbor named Heber the Kenite, but remember him. Now, Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. All I want to say is remember Heber the Kenite and that he pitched a tent. That will come into play in just a little while. Now, back to the story of Deborah. Deborah orders Barak, her military leader, to take the army down to the Kishon River bed. Why to a riverbed? We're going to find out in a few moments. It seems like unimportant information, but that also is critical to the story. Here we go. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, into this riverbed. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Isn't that amazing? So the Canaanite army is thrown into a panic. Why are they thrown into a panic? Now, this is where you need to dip into chapter 5, the poetic account, which tells us a little bit more. That even though it was the dry season, God miraculously sends a rainstorm, and the riverbed becomes all mud. And what happened to the iron chariots? Blah, 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 blah. They sank. And gone is their, is their um, uh, what is it, uh, their advantage over the Israelites. And they are defeated there in the riverbed. And so Sisera, the general of the army, being the man he is, he runs off. He, he escapes. Where does he go? Where does he go? He's running, running, running. Where can I hide away? Oh, there's a pitched tent over there that belongs to Heber the Kenite. Remember him? That random story, not so random now. So Sisera goes up and knocks on the door of Heber the Kenite's tent. And who answers? Remember the woman that Deborah prophesied would have the victory? Meet Jael, Heber the Kenite's wife. 
Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him. Right there you think, something's up. He asks for water. She gives him some nice warm milk. Oh, this will help you go to sleep. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg, not to pitch another tent in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. Let me just say, the author did not need to put in those last four words. Wow. I mean, you know, one, th- one of the things I just love about Scripture is that it deals with life as it is. It's brutal, and the book of Judges is brutal, but that's the way much of life can be around the world. And this was a brutal end to an even more brutal person. So that's the story of Deborah. All right, have a good weekend. Okay, so there are some principles of leadership on how to influence others. We can draw from this story, and I want to go through a few of them. Now, not all of them may apply to your circumstance in life, But look for one or more that may apply. And the first principle is simply this. Be available to God and others. You know, um, of all the 12 judges in the book of Judges, Deborah is the only woman. It's not because there's no evidence to suggest that men were unavailable or unwilling. It's just that she was just plain and simply a really good leader and full of wisdom. But how difficult that must have been for her. Not a man. How uneasy, how unsettling that she did it. And on top of that, of all the other judges, she is not a warrior. She's not been in battle. She's not known for her sheer might. She's known for her wisdom. So you put those two together. She's not a warrior. She's not a man. How, I don't know. What a deterrent that would be. What a discouragement that might be. But no, she seemed to have this settled confidence that God has the ability to sovereignly call someone to a place and time to lead and have influence in someone's life. And do you know, God works the same way today. It makes me think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, near the end. There are some first-generation Christians who find it very difficult being in the various relationships they're in, in their marriage, in their neighborhood, in their workplace, and they want out. And Paul writes to them and he says, you know, if at all possible, you remain where you are. God has called you there. Stay put. Why would Paul say that? Because that's where you can make a difference and have influence. And what about us? What about you? Where has God called you to today? What place has he given you? What what is the time now in your life where you can have an influence on somebody's life? Are you a grandparent? Are you a parent? Are you a student with classmates? Are you a teacher? Are you a coach? Are you on a team Do you live in a neighborhood? Do you have neighbors? Are you involved in the community? Where do you work and live and play? 
God works the same way today as he did back in the day of Deborah. It may be uneasy, it may be unsettling, but for now God has called you there. Remain there and make a difference. But how do we do that? That leads us to the second principle. Be determined to honor God. I'm so drawn to these, this verse that shows up a couple times in the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's found in Judges chapter 17. But do you see Judges chapter 21, verse 25? That is the very last verse in the book of Judges. It is the summary verse for all that you read through the book of Judges. Listen, when we order God out of our lives, we invite disorder into our lives. And that's exactly what happened. And when we do that, how can we expect to lead? How can we expect to influence others? How can we expect to honor God? I read this on uh, Facebook recently. It is better to walk alone than to walk with a crowd in the wrong direction. Don't we tell our kids that? You don't need to be like everyone else. And Deborah chose not to be like everyone else. Deborah chose to honor God with her life. I mean, how hard that must have been to send only 10,000 soldiers to meet the Canaanite army. But she trusted God. How did she know to trust God? She heard from God. God gave her the instructions. And you may think, well, that might be nice to hear from God. We have it better than Deborah. We have God's complete word, complete inerrant word written out for us. And would you like to know how to influence those grandkids? Your spouse, your, your co-workers, the people in your neighborhood, then we just open up God's word and we understand what forgiveness looks like within a marriage, what love and commitment looks like raising kids, what it looks like to serve our neighbors and, our, and listen in our community during this crazy time of everybody wanting to spout off their opinion. It's in God's word that we we learn about integrity and what hard work looks like at the workplace. And when we learn God's word, then we have a shot at honoring God and truly influencing others. Now there's a third principle I want to touch on. Be aware of God-given roles and celebrate others. As you go through the the book of Judges, all the way from the beginning, Othniel to the very end, Samson. Every story has one hero in it, except for the story of Deborah. There is Deborah who initiates the plan. <clears throat> there is Barak who has, carries out the plan. And there's Jael who finishes the plan. There are three heroes in this story. In, our, in my former church, we, we used to have a saying. It went like this. that it, it, we, It's amazing how much we can get done when no one cares about getting the credit. It's amazing how much we can get done when no one cares about getting the credit. Interesting. I, you know, um, if, you were to, if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 11, the the great hall of fame of faith, where it lists people from the Old Testament who just seem to live by faith. And there's a number of people written there. Deborah is not mentioned there, but what I find interesting is that Barak is there. Of all people, Barak is there. 
Why would that be? We don't know, but I can tell you this. I don't think Deborah would care. It's, it's amazing how much we can get done when no one cares about who gets the credit. And so in chapter 5 in the song, in the poetic account of what happened, Deborah, Deborah sings a song, and in this song, she doesn't sing about herself. She sings about Barak. She sings about J.L. She sings about the, the various volunteers who helped bring victory to the Israelites. That's what she sings about, and that's the mark. That's a, that's a mark of a true leader, someone who doesn't worry about getting the applause, but someone who looks for ways to give credit to others, looks for ways to celebrate others. And that could be in your home, it could be at your workplace, it could be your neighborhood. That is a mark of true leadership, of humility. Now that leads us naturally to the fourth point. And at this point, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out because we're going to finish this service with a song, just like the story of Deborah ends with a song in chapter 5 where she gives ultimate credit to God. The other day, um, I was, uh, I forget where I was, and I heard the question, this question. Is it ever okay for us to take the credit? I knew where they were going with this, but I want to ask you, is it ever okay for us to take the credit? I mean, you've been a part of something that went really well. You had a hand in it. It just went remarkably well. Is it okay for you to take the credit? Obviously, it's okay to be happy about what happened and to be a part of that. God used you. But is it okay to take the credit? And these words came to mind from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? And so in chapter 5, in this poetic account of what happened, sure, Deborah, she sings about, about Barak and his contributions. She sings about Jael and her contributions. She sings about the volunteers and their contributions. But in those words and behind all of those words, she gives credit to God. You want to have an influence on people's lives in a significant way? and ultimately point them toward the right things and point them toward God, then learn how to give ultimate credit to God. And that doesn't mean when somebody says, oh, you're amazing, or that was amazing, that doesn't mean you say, oh, it was just so. You say, thank you. And maybe at times you vocally say, I just want to give the credit to God, or in your heart do that. That's what true leaders do. Now, in just a moment, we're going to stand and, and sing. And, and we're going to give credit to God. We do that in this room all the time. Think about it. We celebrate a victory also. And our victor is Jesus Christ, who on the cross took our sin onto himself so that we could live. That's the nature of the gospel. God has done for us through Jesus what we could never do for ourselves. And this is our celebration time. This is our... Deborah, chapter 5 time, where we sing and give thanks to God, who not just on the cross defeated sin and death, our worst, worst, worst enemies, 
But every day, by God's Spirit, he fights for us and helps us to go at life his way until the day Jesus comes again. So let's stand together and let's sing our own Deborah song of victory.